It's Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. Uh, we've got a awesome guest tonight, one who is doing a pretty uh, kick-ass story about a character I, Alan and I both love. But before I introduce our guest, I want to say hello, Alana, and welcome my co-host. How you doing? Hey, I'm excited. I'm, I'm getting ready to participate in the big uh, New York march that's going to be happening on Saturday. Uh, I know there's going to be marches around the country in lots of cities, so there's opportunities for folks to get out there and be heard in a collective voice, a refusal to subjugate ourselves to the Trump regime. Um, so I'm getting, getting ready for that. Yes, real superheroes will be at the march, so be a superhero and go get your voice heard. Uh but tonight we are talking about superheroes of a different sort uh, and a kind of a monster in a weird way. So with our guest, uh, Vita Ayala is a writer based out of New York City. They penned her first piece of fiction at the tender age of 10 and never looked back. Though traditionally a prose writer, they have worked published. Uh, they have had work published by DC Comics. Uh, you might have seen some of that work in the DC New Talent Showcase or the DC Holiday Special and most recently, Suicide Squad, Most Wanted, El Diablo, Amanda Waller. The latest issue is out this week. Uh, they also have a few soon-to-be-released comic projects in the works, including Our Work Fills the Pews through publisher Black Mass Studios, a, a favorite publisher of Alana and mine. Uh, when they're not actively writing, Vita spends their time scheming ways to get tickets to see Hamilton. And if you know if there's any tips, let us know. And cultivating an appreciation <laughs> for New York's finest cheap pizza something that I love as well, just generally cheap pizza and pizza in general. So welcome to the show, Vita. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Um, I have no tips in terms of getting Hamilton tickets, but I will <laughs> I will keep you posted. Uh, you probably make a lot of money doing that if you've got tips. <laughs> so I'm, I'm oh, man, so that's excited a... to have I'm so excited to have in my inbox uh, and have read the uh, copy of Suicide Squad, Most Wanted, Amanda Waller, and El Diablo. Um, I've been telling, this is one of our most anticipated big-name comics of the year, actually. I've been waiting to see your work on this. Um, I, I, I happen to be a regular of the comic bookstore for which um, Vito's partner works, and so I've been excited to observe Vito's career from afar and now it's 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 in the stores you know i mean the dc talent showcase was really cool as well as the holiday issue but you know having your name on the on the cover of it like this and the fact that you're writing a title about character that like i'm incredibly excited about this has just been super anticipated for us so thanks for joining us no no thank you for having me um it's pretty wild <laughs> i uh, yeah walk into the comic book shop that I usually shop at and see my own book on the shelf is surreal. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> so how did you first become a comics fan? Um, that man, back in the Jurassic age when comics were printed on, you know, giant leaves. Um, when I was a kid, uh, there was this little Korean bodega, that used to have a little spinning rack of comics and uh, we would go in there for like random groceries. And my mom was a very encouraging human being and she would let me buy comic books, even though we definitely did not have money for comic books. Um, so that's, 
that's pretty much where it started. I mean, I think I was maybe five or six. Picked up a couple of like things with Storm on the cover and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's pretty pretty standard. Um, and then I remember, uh, I forget when what year it was, but from I think it was Christmas or my birthday, my parents got me. Um, Fisher Price used to put out these graphic novels um, that came with little like cassette tapes. Um, so they got me the 1001 Arabian Nights graphic novel and it had a little cassette tape so it would read it to me even though I couldn't read so I would like flip through the pages and pretend that I knew how to read comics which was fun mm. <laughs> that's a great way to learn a, yeah I mean I'm I'm the same as I was in pr- just pretty pictures and, and, and cool looking words they, they do it for me hmm. and what's been your path for uh, coming into writing comics yourself obviously you've been doing a lot of fiction of your own for a while. Um, but uh, how did you start doing work in comics? Um, in 2012, I want to say 12. Nope. Is that right? Uh, 2000, yeah, 12 or 13. I was working at Forbidden Planet, um, which Yay. I've been working at Forbidden Planet for a long time. Yay! Local comic book shop. Yay! And um, yeah. I was working with Matthew Rosenberg, actually. Um, yeah, and I, Rosenberg. I know, I know. It's, just, it's a, it's a very small and large world at the same time. <laughs> um, and Rosenberg is one of my best friends, and he, um, I would come in every day early, like an hour early, and sit in the basement and and write before I had to go on shift and. Uh, I don't remember how he got a hold of some of my writing, but he did. And he said, listen, you really need to be pitching. You can't just be writing for yourself. This is something clearly that you're passionate about. And, you know, you, you have to, you can't stall out. Um, and that was back when Black Mask was, they they were just starting. I don't even know if they had put anything officially out besides what uh, Pozzolo had put out. But uh, he was like, I know this publisher and no guarantee at all you know but you might as well pitch they're they're a new company and they're going to be doing really great stuff uh and so I did and uh, was actually working on something for them for a while um but ended up not going through but uh they liked my stuff enough that they wanted me to have something and so Rosenberg and I ended up working on a book together which is going to be coming out soon um, so that's kind of how I got started. And then from there, I guess the scripts got passed around and, uh, Rosenberg was kind enough to introduce me to, uh, industry people that he knew, mostly other, you know, writers and, and, and artists and stuff. And, and I got to meet a lot of really great people. And then, uh, from there it was just kind of hustle, but that was the way in it was kind of that initial, like pitching the Black Mask, which is cool. Yeah, I love Black Mask, and I, I'd love to hear more about the comic that you guys have coming out from it. C- can you say anything about what, what We Fill the Pews is going to be about? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> when we first conceived of it, uh, which was years and years ago, uh, it was a little bit less kind of like on the nose, but basically it, imagine a, America, you know, Trump, you know, uh, term two, what that might be like, 
um, which unfortunately is now how I describe it. Uh, it's not how I used to describe it, but that's, that's pretty accurate. Um, it's a world in which marginalized people have been much further suppressed. Women are put into internment camps. People of color kind of really have ceased to kind of be walking around and, um, the main character that it follows is a gay black man named Marcus who uh, works for the government. And basically the only way to kind of survive in this world as a, as a gay person um, is to become a bounty hunter for the government. And what bounty hunters do is they track down women, free women who've either managed to escape or who, who were never caught in the initial wave of like quote unquote protection. And so he brings women in um, to these camps and he, um, without giving away too much, he ends up finding a child who has never known captivity. And he kind of has to make this decision about whether or not he's going to take her in and, and fulfill his, you know, his official duty, or if he's going to try and kind of save her. And it's kind of about how marginalized people are turned against each other um, by people in power so that they can stay in power and how, Sometimes it's not enough to just survive. Um, sometimes you have to kind of stand up and, and it's worth putting yourself in danger to make a stand. Um, so that's wow. kind of what it's about. <laughs> that sounds like a perfect comic for the upcoming times. And yeah, it was a, yeah. It's wild. <laughs> the last like the last year really has been wild watching this and then working on this comic as well. And it's like, Oh boy, I didn't want this to be so relevant. (laughs) Mm. And when will this be out? Uh, It should be out. The first issue should be out relatively soon. I don't like to put, I'm not sure of the exact date. I don't want to make specific promises, but uh, it should be out pretty soon. Like this winter, basically sometime probably. (laughs) Uh, probably closer to like early spring. Um, but oh, yeah. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I, I might be writing something about dystopian stories. So this would be a lovely thing to include. And God, that sounds very close to home. Um, so, oh, sorry, Brett, I could tell you were about to ask something. Yeah. I was going to say like with, with everything that's been going on in the, the country, has that influenced the story at all? Have you made adjustments or have you gotten to a point where no. like, oh, I'm a little oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> it's actually what's frightening is that there has been no need to make adjustments. It's unfortunately pretty spot on. Um, I mean, I'm hoping in my deepest of hearts um, that it is way more extreme than anything that comes to pass. But it's one of those like prepare for the worst and hope for the best scenarios. Um, but it's kind of one of those we're going to follow this what I mean what is ending up happening to its more intense but pretty logical conclusion I guess mm-hmm. um, but it makes sense to me that you know a writer who's you know a person of color who's you know who, who, who's like not a cisgender white dude is someone who even before the big explosion of like Trump winning already understands and knows that the DNA for this sort of crisis already exists in our society, regardless of whether or not Trump wins. You know what I mean? Like it didn't take a Trump election to to know that white supremacy is a force that pits women and people 
of color who are men and LGBTQ people and everybody else against each other to, to keep us down. So, yeah. And it's, it's, it's fun to, I mean, it's not fun, but it was, it was something that, I mean, Rosenberg came up with this initial idea. We were, you know, as comic book employees do, we had downtime and we talk about it and he was something that he's really interested in and him coming from, you know, a, a Jewish background was also one of those things where we were like, this is, at the time we didn't think it was really possible, but we were like, this is something that like isn't completely out of the realm of possibility. And we brought both brought a lot to it in terms of that. Um, he's a very intelligent individual. Don't tell him I said that. I want him to think that, <laughs> I am, but um, we, you know, it took a surprisingly little amount of us hammering out details like that, that the, the core of the story and kind of those mechanics were pretty clear to the both of us um, and what ended up being the thing that we have, you know, had real discussions on or just the details, like the plot stuff. It's not the, like, the themes or any of that kind of stuff or the character stuff that came, unfortunately, very easily to the both of us. Wow. So what was it like uh, going through the DC New Talent Workshop, which is a very different kind of forum for building new... People in the industry. For folks who don't know, I guess DC Comics has an initiative to uh, train artists and writers in comics who are not folks who are folks who haven't worked for big publishers before or who haven't done work professionally to sort of offer like a training and mentorship um, I, to folks. I maybe not be describing it well. I just realized that it's possible that some of our listeners might not be familiar with it, so I wanted to give a little bit of background. Can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, it was it was great actually. Um, it's pretty much exactly what you said. It's a program de- designed to kind of take people who are either you know starting to get their feet wet in comics or who have some experience but maybe not with kind of like big two and superhero stuff and show them kind of how that works. Um, I can only speak for for the writer. Side, not the artist side, because those are two um, two different sub programs. But um, yeah, it was it was great. It was supremely informative about how kind of the larger industry works and kind of what it takes to craft stories with uh, franchise in mind. Because um, it was all you know, it's DC based, so we got to play with like their major characters. Um, it was. I still miss it, actually. Um, Rosenberg was also in in my class. Um, my class was the was the pilot class. It was the initial class, um, and it just was every week we'd get together and we get to talk story with each other. And we'd have Scott Snyder, um, who writes Batman and American Vampire and a bunch of other stuff that I love. Um, he would not just kind of go through this academic syllabus, which he did, um, but he'd also give a lot of kind of, not anecdotes, but a lot of, uh, a lot of advice and stuff based on his own experience within the industry. And um, it was, it was invaluable getting, getting to talk to people from various backgrounds um, who all want to do the same thing and bring their own perspective to kind of what we're doing was, was awesome. Um, and it was it, a thing that I really enjoyed about it was that it was a program that was very dedicated to kind of normalizing um, diversity. Um, we had 
many women and, and other people of color in the class, um, people all along the, you know, orientation spectrum. And it was just one of the safest places where you could go and talk about story and talk about how we want to tell stories um, and learn so much. Um, I don't know if you had any specific questions, but yeah, that it was, it was phenomenal. And it ended up getting me, you know, exposed to people within DC and stuff. And, and that's how I came to, you know, be writing this Amanda Waller two shot, which is pretty awesome. With with the, the two shot, did that come after the program or was that kind of part of like, you're going to be part of this program and during this, you're going to work on this specific thing and we want you to kind of focus on this project during it or was it a post, you know, training or whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, afterwards that come mm-hmm. together? Uh, it was post, um, during the class, we worked on other stuff. Our homework was not, um, the only thing that was also related to the class that I've had published, pardon me, was, um, my piece in the new talent showcase. Mm -hmm. Um, that was one of the things, uh, or an iteration of one of the things that I worked on in the class, my Wonder Woman piece in that, but, uh, everything subsequent has been um, just, I, you know, I've been lucky enough to have made connections in the class and they've liked my stuff and, you know, that's how it's come about. Um, uh, Steve Orlando, who I co-wrote the piece in the DC Holiday Special, um, we knew each other before, but because I was in the system now, we were able to kind of link up and he has been truly amazing in bringing me in on stuff. And so, yeah, like it, all that stuff has been post-class, um, going through going through the real process too. I mean, pitching and all that stuff. So. Useful, very useful uh, workshop. And the but the and the yeah, the talent showcase came from came from work that was done in the workshop. So yeah, those are like people's sort of graduating product projects. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good yeah. way to put it. Yeah, it was like this is the portfolio project. It's <laughs> <laughs> so what you needed very to do to cool. graduate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just so happy to hear that people are being intentional and like using this as a way to bring different kinds of voices in. I, I think that's exactly what we need to see at the big publishers. And it makes me really happy to have it happen. And I really enjoyed it. So there you go. <laughs> Actually, one thought about your, um, your story in the DC comics talent showcase is you have uh, wonder woman and the flash are the main, or your, your characters in it basically. And um, the, I, I, I got a kick out of, Flash, like being like a good guy, but who's also kind of, but actually, ain't her. You're showing up and saying, <laughs> but actually, da 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 da, and you're still like, I still like him, but he's doing that thing that guys do. That sucks. Let's think about that. So that was yeah, sort of one of my um, takeaways reading the piece. <laughs> we, uh, I talked back and forth with my editors about that. Um, there was, there was the original was a little bit different, but it still had that aspect. And I was like, I, this just seems right to me. I mean, I love the flash though. So let me just put that mm-hmm. out there. The flash is my yeah. homeboy. He's, he is so funny. He has always been one of my favorites. I, he was when the justice league cartoon was coming out when I was a kid, that was just hearing him open his mouth was one of my favorite things. And I was like, if mm-hmm. anyone is going to be able to tell Diana that she is like wilding out, and 
she needs to, you know, maybe think about her choices. The only person that can get away with that without her, like, flipping out is the Flash. Because um, in the story, she's definitely, it's not that she's taking on too much. She's Wonder Woman. She can do anything. But she is kind of going through this growth in her power. I, I put her towards the beginning of becoming the God of War. Um, and so, you know, her powers are expanding and growing and she's becoming overwhelmed, but because she is who she is, she doesn't want to admit that. And I was like, no one else can talk to her and tell her that she's, she maybe should like turn down for a second. So, um, it is, he is kind of, but actually her, um, but also in a way he's the only person that could get away with doing that with Wonder Woman because he's funny, but also because he, he's one of the people that understands that like she's wonder woman and she can do anything um i think anyway i hope that came across um i hope i did mm-hmm. service to to the flash yeah yeah he didn't come off as With a bad the... guy he came off as a guy who does things that guys do you know he really <laughs> but, does um, yeah <laughs> so with the with those projects the dc new talent showcase it really felt like a lot of the projects were kind of like all throughout the history of dc was there anything as far as that with guidance, I thought it was just thing that I thought was really interesting was that um, it was kind of all over the place, and and some of them felt like they were multiple multiple start, part stories, and you know didn't necessarily wrap up perfectly. And I just it was very interesting, and it kind of felt like you know people were work, it, it had that feeling of, of exactly what it is that people were kind of working through, um, and this was like their their end project thesis in a way, and, and that's a good thing. I think that's actually really cool. But when coming up with that and being like, all right, I'm going to do something with Wonder Woman and the Flash, like, was that something they suggested? Was that something you suggested? You know, in the time frame that it was set in, like, you know, where did that all come from? Because I, I actually think that was really interesting uh, about the, the project as a whole. Um, we were given remarkable amounts of freedom um, in terms of our work within the course and then uh, with this final project, as it were. Um the only real mandate that we had was that these are for our new talent showcase. These were supposed to be trailers, right? So this is a taste of what could be a larger story. Um, And with the exception of, I think one or two of them, um, that's the case. I think only one or two of them actually like close the circle a little bit, but, have room for for expansion but yeah that was that was our mandate what you know whatever your story is it has to be a teaser it has to have this kind of feel of this is just the beginning of a of a larger story and um, we want people to want to read the rest of the story um in terms of specific content they they were like go nuts (laughs) go go big go as big as you want um and I I mean I like smaller stories in terms of character and stuff, but when you tell me to go big, I'm gonna destroy a city, I guess. <laughs> Woohoo! So, so um, speaking of character-driven stories, I, I you know I really enjoy the Amanda Waller comic. Um, it, it, you know, it's basically like a two-part comic. Where's a different writer who's doing the um, Diablo part, and then you're writing the Amanda Waller chapter of, of the issue. Um, did you pitch DC on doing an Amanda Waller book or did they approach you or how did that come together? Uh, it was 
kind of half dozen of one and six of the other. Um, they, when they were putting together the the project, um, the initial story, the the first part of each issue written by Giants was just one big story, um, and they had a couple of people in mind to do backup stories, full full issue length backup stories, and they had a couple of ideas for characters. And um, I was approached, as well as a couple of other people that, I don't know, I mean, clearly Sabella and and, and, um, and Maurice, um And they were like, we have a couple of characters. Um, would you maybe be interested in, you know, Amanda Waller? I was like, oh, gee, I don't know. Amanda Waller, she's only one of my favorite characters. Uh, <laughs> let me get back to you. I don't know. Um, but uh, they, this is another one where they they approached but they wanted to see what my take on the character would be and so I got to pitch uh, the specific story that I would be telling with her so it was a little bit of both um, and they they seemed to like what I came up with so <laughs> well, I love Amanda Waller I think you did an amazing job of nailing her voice I'd love to hear what, what why do you love Amanda Waller um, because there are so few black women in general and there are like zero big black women and dark black women. I mean, there are, there are clearly like a few dark black women characters, but she is, she's humongous and in your face and completely unapologetic and in control. And you just don't get to see that very often for a woman character in general. I, you know, who are the giant women characters we have? We have like, I mean, Wonder Woman is, like, tall and brawlic, I guess, but, like, we have, like, Big Barda, Granny Goodness, and Amanda Waller. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, uh, any time... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and any time we have an, an, a powerful and unapologetic female character, I'm all about it. And the fact that she was black was... It's so important to me. Um, and she's just... She's just so done with everyone's nonsense and so competent at what she does. And you just, you never see that. And and her weird, like, I've always thought that it was interesting that what she is supposed to be doing primarily, her skill is in the psychological and in, like, deprogramming people. And she's good enough for, like, even superheroes are like, all right, well, we have to play ball with her. Um, there's an issue of Justice League America from oh my god I can't remember what year but I remember the cover was a play on The Exorcist where it's Amanda Waller in the like black and white with like the bag <laughs> or whatever and she comes in and Batman has called her in to deprogram uh, Blue Beetle and I was like when Batman has to call in help you know that person <laughs> is no joke <laughs> and so wow, I, I need to read that issue oh it's great I, I, I think, say, was, yeah like I I, I, I was so happy to see that Amanda was being drawn as a middle-aged uh, woman of size in this, because when they first brought her back in the New 52, she was younger and thinner. And we actually got a petition that we did called Waller Not Smaller to bring back the real Amanda Waller. And I wasn't sure at what point that changed. Is that like a thing that you could... were able to do for this book or... I, my first question after I was like, absolutely, I will do this was, but can she be the wall though? (laughs) Those exact (laughs) words. The manager was like, oh my God, yes, no, that's what I want. I want giant Amanda Waller. I was like, I want her as broad as she is tall. (laughs) Like, can we have as big as humanly possible? Um, 
I don't know if that's in the main canon or not. <laughs> it is. But, she's back. Yeah. She, she's back to the way she was, which was it really random because I, I don't know what point it happened either where if it was with Rebirth or a little bit before Rebirth, but at some point Waller was just kind of back to the way she was and like no one spoke of it. It was one of the weirdest character transitions I've ever seen. Yeah. I'm like, well, I, I don't care. I She's back the way she was. I'm happy. I'm good with that. I think that was the feeling too. Like, don't don't question it. Just let it happen. Yeah, just don't. Exactly. <laughs> and that was where I'm big. like, I don't want to, I don't want to bring this up to anyone. I don't want to jinx this. I'm just gonna <laughs> let this go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen, I love Angela Bassett Waller because I love Angela Bassett. But the wall to me has to be. She's like the fridge. You know what I mean? She's just huge <laughs> and imposing. And, like, I want to believe that when she punches someone in the face, she can knock them out. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, she's, uh, yeah, I don't know when it happened, but I was unbelievably pleased when immediately it was confirmed that she was going to be, like, big, that they weren't going to, they weren't going to nerf her size. I was like, yes, yes, I want, I want, like, wrinkles if you can do them, and I want rolls, and I want her to be able to punch through a wall. That's all I want. <laughs> Excellent. And you get to really go into some of her backstory in this issue. Um, and parts of it are, were familiar to me, and, and I think but there's also new parts of it that you really brought to light. But I think this uh, is the first retelling of her, of her backstory in the New 52. Yeah, I... I, uh, man, I looked at the new 52 stuff just to kind of know what I could do. Um, but they gave me a lot of freedom to, to play with her for sure. Um, I, uh, I wanted to write a story. I, I like, again, I like big bombastic stories where stuff explodes and people kind of punch each other. Um, but what really interests me, um, especially when you have a limited amount of space is character stuff. And I really wanted to get at the heart of, Amanda Waller of who she is and her motivations and uh, they were supremely supportive and uh, I thought that it would be important to kind of talk about some of the stuff that was already established as her background because you know even though she's been around you know she hasn't disappeared or anything it's been a long time since we kind of touched on you know those deeper motivating factors of like her family and what happened to them. Um, uh, but I didn't want to stop there. Um, I wanted to kind of show that like, she's not just one note. She, she has grown and she is, you know, bigger, badder than ever. And that she also struggles um, with a lot of the things that characters get to struggle with in comics and, and as a black woman, especially you don't, you're not really allowed to do that publicly. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to show, like, no, like, she, she has all of these doubts and these issues, but she's able to kind of, like, pull it together and do what has to be done. Um, so it was, it was cool that they let me, they let me do that. <laughs> There's a really cool was... two-page splash page that you guys have there. I don't know if I can say what it is because of spoiler reasons, but was it something that you guys worked on together with the artist? Or oh, By the way, the artist is great, and I feel so stupid that I'm forgetting his name. Who did the art? Matt Murhoff. Um, he's, he's yeah. amazing. It was great. It I, was classic. He's wow. And he, he, oh God, he's so good. And he did research for this. That was, 
I mean, clearly shines through in the work, but like was not asked of him. He took the initiative mm. on so much. Um, there's a, the two, the double page spread in the second issue. I, again, spoiler reasons, I can't really say what it is, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, that. You know, I only have the I only have the first issue, the double page spread of the first issue of yours. I don't know how your second. Oh, I thought no, you I, sent you, I sent you. I sent you. You got number six. Oh. Yeah, you don't have the first. You got okay. the second. Oh, I'm no, sorry. No. I I I will get you whatever you need. But um, <laughs> yeah, he um, he did this amazing amount of research for this book, and uh, when I had written the two page the double page spread for, for number six. Initially it was just a bunch of stuff happening, like regular panel stuff. And I'm always very clear, like, especially when I'm doing like bigger stuff, I'm like, Hey, if you have a better idea, go for it because you're the visual storyteller. I just have some ideas. Um, And he emailed me um, and he was like, Hey, I was doing research about who she is. And I was wondering if I could, you know, do this with the format, you know, if not, don't worry about it. But I thought it'd be cool. And I was like, Oh yeah, that that sounds amazing. And to see it realized, I oh my god, this kid, he is incredibly, incredibly talented, incredibly nice, incredibly fast. I hope that he gets all of the work in the world because he deserves it. He is unbelievable. Um, Let's say that sorry, I could wax poetic about this listeners. dude. No, no, that's good. Say his name one more time for the listeners. Matt Murhoff. Matt Murhoff. Oh. Thank you. Yeah, no, no problem. And the colorist is incredible too. Um, the the whole team on this was actually, I was so like humbled to be able to be a part of this. Not just because I love the character so much and and getting to kind of write, you know, big two comics is is a dream of mine. But because everyone involved was so passionate about doing it right and about the details, and they put in all this extra work. Um, he yeah. He, uh, but uh, the last page, um, which we can't talk about, uh, I guess, um, that was something that I had, I had conceived of um, in a very general sense. Um, that was something that, the end sequence was something that I had talked to my editor about. Um, and she, you know, I was like, hey, I was thinking, you know, about doing this. Is it too heavy? Is it too much? And she, we'd been texting and she just sent back a string of like sobbing emojis and she was like, do it. <laughs> just sobbing. And I was like, okay, okay. Well, I think I'm going to do this. <laughs> I was like, I guess that's good. Um, and then the artist just, I, it's, God, he's so good. It's amazing what he can do with, with the direction that he's given. Um, yeah. So uh, it was, it was an execution that was beyond, um, beyond, simply what was on the page um so yeah <laughs> i hope that's not too meandering sorry no that's fantastic and i guess i have to say like since i guess i only saw the second issue of it and not the first i was able to follow along just fine and so that's a good sign um <laughs> sorry about that i, I, I meant to shit- send both <laughs> I said, okay, but I think I might be shipping her inappropriately, perhaps, given the context they might be missing. But, but I'll just have it be known that I might have that particular inclination about something and what about one of the characters in the book. So, yeah. Did you, you're, did you say shipping? 
Yeah, I, I did. I did. I did say that. <laughs> I, I did say that in this particular setting and environment. I did say that. So. I am so glad that we know each other. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just hope that there's nothing that I'm going to see in the first issue that will make me be like, actually, that's a terrible thing. I mean, this thing is just already a terrible thing anyway, because really, Amanda Waller is probably not someone you should be involved with. It's just, you know, life, life, life tips for folks that someone who has that much power and that much black ops finesse is probably, probably a dangerous person to be in a relationship. I don't know. She's married to the job. (laughs) Yeah. She reminds me of some of the women here in D.C. So at uh, yeah, <laughs> I but, might have dated yeah. one or two women that were like her. So. And they all were seductive guys. <laughs> Definitely, and all, we all we all used to joke where it was like, I know congressional aides, they can't they can't do the Suicide Squad, but Amanda Waller, she's the congressional aide who can somehow get the Suicide Squad together. Although I actually don't know if that's her job title in the in the current world, but she back and back and back when she was first created, her official title was she was a, a congressional aide, which I love. Oh man, I don't even oh. know. She wears so many hats. She's been the you know checkpoint, all this other stuff. Um, I really hope that somewhere on in her string of like titles is still congressional aide. <laughs> I hope um, so. I'd like to think she's yeah, like hanging out, yeah, <laughs> possibly hanging out with people that like we know somewhere on the hill. I don't know. No, no I'm imagining what Charlie you... Wrangle before he retired, perhaps. See, now, now I'm thinking of what the Waller, uh, uh, her CV looks like, and like congressional aides at the lowest, and then it kind of goes up from there. <laughs> <laughs> that probably sounds right. Um, Oh, that's, man. That's, yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. So if this comic sells like gangbusters, do you think they might want to have an Amanda Waller focused ongoing or? I, I can only hope. I mean, I think that there's never enough Waller. I think I would love to see a lot of the stuff from her perspective. Um, because I bet that there is a lot of intensity and drama related to that and I'd also love to see what she does when they're not when they're like out on missions I know she doesn't just stand there she's got way too much stuff to do so like oh maybe if it sells well (laughs) I love the idea though of of a parallel book like you have the Suicide Squad book and then you have the Amanda Waller behind the scenes book or maybe it's just backups in the back of Suicide Squad but it's like and this is what Amanda Waller was doing with the rest of her time (laughs) One of the uh, initial kind of iterations of the book was a little bit closer to that, um, and it ended up, I ended up tightening it. And that, you know, working with the editor, we ended up kind of uh, making it much more what it is now. But uh, yeah, I was like, I really just, I know that she's not standing around, guys. Like, there's got to be, she's got to be raising hell. Like, there's no, like, for someone that dangerous and someone that intelligent, she can't just sit idly by. Um, which I, I tried to kind of express in the book, and again, without giving away too much, with the, um, we see kind of one of her past agents, um, and we kind of get the idea that she was overly involved um, in, in the work, and that was a problem. And I, I tried to kind of channel it through that. But, yeah, I would love to, love to see a book where, where 
she's doing her own thing and not just waiting around for the squad to call her on the phone. Yeah. From from the field for sure. Um with the uh with the the suicide squad like appearances, like you have to really work closely with the the folks who are doing the main suicide squad comic in terms of the pacing? Like does do they feed do they feed into each other? Uh, I I had some initial conversations with Jai, um, but the honestly, I was given a lot of room. Um, I got some direction from editorial in terms of like what was kind of cool to use. The team was bigger initially, and they were like, "Ah, this is this is too much," and so I had to like kind of pare it down. But in terms of like who could wander around, not really. Um, it was. <laughs> It's almost like, you know, like all those like Wolverine comics where you're like, I know that it's not really possible for him to be wandering around doing all this stuff, but we're just going to make it work. <laughs> just like, um, yeah. yeah, no, they, I got to assemble a team and, and go for it. And uh, I, I used the fast and, and dirty kind of like equation for that. It was like, oh, well, you need magic and we need someone that cuts things and we need someone that shoots things and we need someone that punches things. And so, Yeah. And we need as long to as I didn't Boomerang like because he is the worst person in the world, possibly. Oh, uh, he. Uh, <laughs> we needed that dude. <laughs> we definitely. Um, and you, I guess you didn't read the first the first part of the story, but he's definitely kind of uh, instrumental for some of the trouble that they get into, for sure. Um, so he he needed to be in in to to cause problems. We needed Boomerang, um, and also. Um, yeah, I mean, he's always uh, – I was like, who's the dude that you literally roll your eyes at? Okay, we need that guy. Um, but also because <laughs> <laughs> because um, he was the first highlighted character, I wanted to kind of have, have him in there um, as well for kind of a callback. I wanted to have Croc in there too, but it ended up being that, like, we had a lot of people that could punch stuff in the face and um, – uh, it needed more comedic relief because it was pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. And so I ended up being like, well, Harley, Harley has a mouth on her. So we're going to, we're going to keep Harley. Also, I am a longstanding Harley Quinn fan. Um, like OG cartoon Harley, especially, but oh yeah, I was like, I can't, I can't not put DC's version of tank girl in there guys. Like, I just, we just oh, need wow. someone with a giant hammer. It's definitely. I've never thought over that way. Yeah. In there, and it's that's yeah. so freaking true. She's she's pretty great. Um, and and also the artist had done such great <laughs> uh, thumbnails with her. They 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 were hysterical. Her expressions in like the sketches made me legitimately laugh out loud. And I was like, okay, this has to. I can't say no to that. That's too good. Like. <laughs> Her jacket um, yeah. is great, by the way. You guys like definitely have a great Harley Quinn jacket. He he did the designs on her, man. And again, this this kid is incredible. But I, you know, when it came back, I was like, oh my god, she has pants. This is so wonderful. She has full <laughs> pants. Oh my god, she has a jacket. I mean, she has a bra on, but she has a jacket. She has gloves. Yeah. She's almost fully covered, guys. This is amazing. Um, yeah, his designs for for them were phenomenal. Um, 
he has a real, I don't know how much research he did, but I think that he did a lot of research for each of the characters because he really nailed all of it. The expressions on Waller's face and Harley Quinn's face, actually, both of those were some of my favorite things to to see, um, both in the black and whites and in color, because there was a lot. Uh, when the first issue came out, one of my best friends, who is a bigger Waller fan than I am, if that's possible, um, he contacted me, he emailed me, and he was like, hey, this guy must have went back and read, like, 70 issues of old school Waller stuff because he was replicating, like, and homaging expressions and stances that, like, we wouldn't have even thought about. And I was like, they paired me with the best. (laughs) And her family is, like, it looks like this classic Bronze Age Amanda Waller family, which is, like, perfect. He went in, and, again, he did the research on Ask. Um, he, I was like, it's a, you know, without giving away too much, it's, it's, it's up for interpretation what they look like. And he was like, I went back and I did all this research about what happened to them and about the outfits they wore and all this stuff. I'm like, holy smokes, this kid, man, dang, he's he's incredible. Um, great team. <laughs> yeah, you guys are fantastic together. I hope I can continue to read amazing Harley Quinn stories from the two of you. Regardless, uh, your, and your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> this and so this one will be out uh, on Wednesday. So yes, pick it up. Yeah, this Wednesday. Yeah, it'll be over. It's kind of it's kind of a bummer. Um, working on it was such a joy and a pleasure. Um, but I hope that it's it was other people find it as worth their time as I found it to to work on. For sure. Are there uh, other characters that you were just, like, itching to get your hands on? Yeah. Um, oh, well, always, right? But I, mean, I have a small yeah. bucket list, but mm-hmm. if I could write anything with Renee Montoya, I would do that. Yeah. I, she's my absolute favorite superhero, my favorite character of all time. I loved her since the cartoon and then you know Gotham Central is one of my favorite it might be my favorite comic of all time and you know as a queer you know uh, Puerto Rican she is deeply deeply important to me I've never seen anyone that looks even vaguely like me in that way and she needs to have her own book even if I don't write it but if I could write it holy smokes uh, that's what I want yeah Renee Montoya um, and, and of course, like there are other characters that I would love to write. I, you know, but if I could only have one, it would be her for sure. I think it's more... amazing how many things, you know, you, we grew up with like a Batman cartoon and, and how ahead of its time it was in terms of these, fans, these fantastic female characters that have really inspired us. I mean, Amanda Waller is great in the, uh, Batman cartoon. Yeah, wasn't she in the? She was um, she was in a couple of the Justice League ones, right? Like, am I crazy? Yeah, Justice League, definitely. They all run yeah. together for me, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, those those cartoons were phenomenal. Um, not to play down the cartoon, you know, the animated stuff they're doing now. Um, I, you know, Young Justice getting another season is amazing, and and all that Woo-hoo. stuff. But I. Yeah, that that show. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed that show. Actually, I, they did such a good job. Um, but that original Batman the animated series, it gave rise to Harley Quinn. It gave rise to Rena Montoya. 
um, it fleshed out a lot of characters that otherwise would have been kind of like left aside. It has one of the best Killer Croc stories and one of the best Clayface stories ever. Um, it was it was untouchable that that cartoon. And then following through the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited cartoons were so important, especially for for female characters um, and and characters of color. We had so many more than previous in one place talking to each other, which was incredible. <laughs> um, Vixen is another one of my favorite characters, and I would, I would kill to be able to write a Vixen anything. I love Vixen with all my heart. M- Mari is so perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, and the new Steve Orlando Vixen, the one-shot leading up to Justice League is awesome, and everyone should get that. But um, hearing her voiced by, like, Gina Torres and seeing her have adventures was the greatest thing on the planet. Those cartoons were so, so great. Um, I can only hope that they kind of continue in the tradition of being like, that character should be used again. And, you know, this character hasn't been doing anything for a while. Um, And bring back, you know, Renee Montoya. Again, I will always circle back to Renee Montoya for the rest of my life. (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. Like, I just have to say, as a fan, I'm so glad to have, like, someone who came up with these same comics and influences and to have someone who's not, like, a cis white dude being able to voice (laughs) them and speak from those experiences is really powerful. They were so important. Um, It's, I mean, in a very real way, having them at those times in my life shaped me and made me able to kind of learn things about myself, but also made me accept parts of myself that I might not have otherwise. And just the exposure to those characters and the normalization of diversity, I guess, is so important. Um, I was, I forget who I was talking to, but I was talking to someone that was a little older and came up with kind of different stuff. And they were like, well, it's so strange to see all this stuff. Like now, I don't know, like to them, it's like, uh, they were like, are people forcing this kind of stuff into like the public eye and all this and whatever. And I was like, no, like it seems so natural because that's what I came up with. And I'm hoping that even more so for the next kind of group of not just creators, but uh, of fans, like, it'll be more and more normal to see those things and, and not question it as, as pandering. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause the, the, we're there, like we exist in the world and it's, yeah. it's bizarre for us to not be included. I want that to be the, the, the feeling like I want people, even people that are not at all like me to be like, it's weird that there's nothing like you in this thing right now. Um, I was having another conversation with a good friend of mine um, about television we watch. And I was like, in the last year or so, barring very few things, I've just kind of stopped going out of my way to watch things that don't have people that are like me in it. Not because I think that I'm the only valid thing, but because it's ridiculous that it's, you know, at the time it was 2016 and there was no brown people in a thing or no, you know, one lady and that's it in a thing. I was like, you know, I'm sure that this stuff is good, but I'd rather have something that reflects a future or a present in which I exist. Um, Oof, powerfully said. I'm, I'm making a snapping sound. I don't know if people can pick it up. <laughs> reflecting a future in which I exist. Hell yes. Yeah, I mean, Hell I. Yeah. there's lots of really great stuff out there 
that is inclusive. So I feel like we are at coming to a time where it's okay, where it's like, for example, uh, there were two things that came out recently, and one of them sounded really interesting. Um, the Arrival came out, and I was like, oh, what is this story about? This is based on a short story that was so good. And then I was like, oh, like, I don't know if I want to go see this because I literally don't see myself in this future. I don't exist. <laughs> no, no part of me is here. And and it was in a time where there was a string of things that came out where it, suddenly I didn't exist anymore. And I was like, I would, I would rather give my support to something that shows that I have a place, <laughs> that I'm not just a fad. You know what I mean? Which sounds terrible. Uh-huh. And, of course, I will eventually go and see or, or I will watch the arrival on Netflix. Don't get me wrong. But if I'm going to spend $15 or whatever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch something, you know, in which I, I can see myself reflected and other people can see me reflected and see that it is okay for me to be there. <laughs> Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. No, that's perfect. It's powerfully stated. I like. I'm trying to like write all this down in quotes because I think you said things that we we've talked about, but I think you said it particularly effectively. Is there anybody's work who you would like to point us to that you feel like it needs to get more attention, and either on the fiction or comics front or anything like that? Um. Oh God, there are so many. Um. I feel like a lot of the people that I love don't really need a plug but I'm going to anyway um I'm going to start with a uh, gentleman uh Black Mask guy uh Tony Patrick he wrote X for uh Black Mask and he has a, like some other stuff going and he's he's in the current DC workshop as well um his he's a great dude and he always has really really interesting ideas um Matt Rosenberg doesn't mean, need me to talk about him so I'm just going to say his name and move on um <laughs> there's a uh I this is so hard too, uh, because a lot of people I know are finally starting to kind of get the recognition they deserve. Um, I guess what I would say actually is for anyone listening, go out and do the work and look for people who are telling stories from a perspective that isn't the, the complete mainstream who isn't, you know, go look up lady and, and queer writers, go look up people of color writers, go look up marginalized people that are doing their thing and, and trying to make it work. Um, because there's, there's a lot more of us out there and um, we deserve the space, I guess, is what I want to say. Yeah, more than deserve. Like we're hungry to hear the, to hear it. And it's, it's more interesting and authentic when, when we can get those perspectives in our work too. Yeah. Man, is it already ten o'clock? Holy smokes! Yeah, I told you went by quick. Brett, yeah, I think we warned you. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. Well, thank you for having me on. Holy smokes! Brett, um, did you have something you were going to ask right now, or? Well, I was I was just wondering, like, do you have more planned with DC uh, coming up? I mean, you've, what you've done has been awesome so far, so it's it's interesting to see like what else maybe some of the new talent might be doing. Uh, I am working on some pitches right now. Hopefully, hopefully they'll bite on a few of them. Um, they have been very receptive to hearing my take on things and to uh, wanting to work with me. So I have nothing that I can talk about specifically. I do have 
maybe a couple of things in, in, in the pipeline, little things, um, which are huge to me. <laughs> but um, there's definitely potential. They have been very, very open um, and wonderful when it comes to, to me. Um, and I have some uh, indie stuff coming out, like uh, we discussed at the beginning. Our work fills the pews will be coming out relatively soon through Black Mask Studios. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Um, uh, the artist is incredible, too. Um, I don't think I can talk about her, though, yet. Um, and um, I have a couple of things in development with some uh, non-Big2 publishers. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But I will I will tweet about it. <laughs> when, when I can announce stuff, I will definitely tweet about it. But I, am, I have been working behind the scenes, for sure, on, on a bunch of stuff. So hopefully it comes to fruition sooner rather than later. Do you feel like and the speaking? Sorry, I was gonna say like before we you know start wrapping up and all that. So uh, like actually, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who are looking at the new talent and kind of wondering about this. Do you feel like having gone through that process has opened the doors beyond DC? Like, are you able to talk to more people and and um, have a bit more access than you did before? I think so. Um, I think. Uh, part of it is just because I, I was able to develop things that could be passed around, but also um, having any publisher that has any clout, whether it's Big Two or, or you know, some of the others like Black Mask, invest time in you is always good. Um, and editors and, and people talk to each other um, just off, you know, they, they're people and they interact with other people in the industry. And um, if you work hard, they, they will talk about that. And so I think that it has been remarkably helpful in terms of work outside of DC as well. Um, yeah. That's cool. awesome. So let our listeners know where they can find you online. Sure. Um, I have a Twitter. It is Vita Wong. Um, so V-I-T-A-W-O-N-G. Um, that's where I talk about most of my comic stuff. Um, that's probably the best, the best place to find me online. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think the DC stuff is available digitally as well as physically. Um, mm-hmm. It is uh, eventually. So yes. yeah, <laughs> if you do digital comics, you can download uh, the stuff that I've done. Um, and if you do not, I'm sure that there are still issues kicking around your local comic book shops. Y'all should go to your local and comic then, book shops, please. Yes. It's how you can meet cool people like Vita. Like how I met <laughs> I, Vita. It's cool. So there we go. I do go and, and hang out at my comic book shop. So um, I've met very cool people through comic book shops. And uh, they do a lot of the work for us. So support them. And it's where we'll be able to pick up your new issue on Wednesday. Yeah, new new issue of Suicide Squad Most Wanted, El Diablo and Amanda Waller. It's the last issue in this series. Um, the initial story, or the main story written by Giants, great guy, super funny, super clever, loves El Diablo. He actually uh, invented him, I believe. And, uh, yep. and then the backup is by me. So, yeah. Maybe and it's a big backup. Like. It's like a, it's like a, it's a real it's full, story. Story, yeah. Yeah, twenty pages, full twenty pages. Um, so yeah. 
that's what I got. <laughs> Thank you again. I'm so glad to have you on the show. I've been wanting to have this for such a long time. So hope we can have you back soon talking about more yeah, work. That would be awesome. Oh, my God. Again, your mouth to God's ears. Yes. Thank you for having mm-hmm. me. It was a total pleasure. <laughs> Excellent. Appreciate it. And looking forward to the, the Black Mask comic when it finally hits out. Yeah. It's that shelf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. Me too. I'd like to see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, ha- we'll have you back on uh, to go plug all that. So I'm, I'm sure it will be awesome. And from what you described, um, I would say that it was perfectly written for Alana and me. Like this seems like it yeah. was. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, so. <laughs> I like kind of need it for a stink piece that I'm pitching. So that's why I was like, but when will it be out? I'm like, can I include it in this pitch I have? I don't know. Okay. What about mine? It's, it's coming. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got to get this out, guys. Alana really wants it out. I know that we were trying to take our time, but let's go. Just go. <laughs> well, thank you again. And we'll definitely have you on, uh, you know, when that comic gets closer to release. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. Um, <laughs> have a good one, guys. Yep. Have a great night. Yep. Yep. Bye. You as well. Guys. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that comic that's coming out for Black Mask sounds so awesome. I'm, I'm not joking. I was like, if there's any comic that's being written in 2017 that's up your in my ass, just like that pitch, I'm just like, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Let's get all those yeah. dystopias out there so we can start planning <laughs> to resist them. Yes. Uh, well, so cool. do we have so, our guests set for next week? I think we... We don't. Wait, we'll, what, we'll talk about 23rd. that. Off here. No. I know no, our guest no. for the week after that, but I probably shouldn't yes. spoil that yet. But no, our listeners should that. know. Let's definitely spoil can. that. Go ahead. Sure. Spoil it. Uh, you, well, uh, well, you pitched it. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, on the 30th, we should be having the writer of a specific new hot Marvel title that a lot of people are interested in, including us. I think we're just called the actual writer. Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm bad. We'll go. So Kelly Thompson will be joining us to to discuss... Uh, Hawkeye, which is uh, the awesome kick-ass female Hawkeye from Runaways, who uh, has her own series that will be issue, I believe, three about then? Three, so, yeah. 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 Uh, and the first two issues have been awesome. Basically, Hawkeye has been fighting uh, cyberstalkers. Sort of, kind of, which has been sweet. Yeah, I mean, really, authentically, it's, it's great, so I'm excited for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been a great series. It's going to be a really fun discussion. So that is in two weeks. And I'll oh, stay tuned. We'll figure out about next week. That's kind of up in the air right now. Um, so yeah, but uh, definitely on the thirtieth, Kelly Thompson will be joining us at our normal time of ten o'clock, I believe. I don't think we're switching the time for that mm-hmm. one. Yep, yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. So uh, yeah, for folks who are listening that maybe came in late or want to listen again or share the show with other folks. You can listen to it at iTunes and Stitcher. It'll be on in probably about an hour or so, and then it will be downloaded and uploaded on SoundCloud probably tomorrow and uh, on graphicpolicy.com. Of course, you can find us at graphicpolicy.com and get all your comic news, uh, reviews, interviews, all that stuff and more uh, every single day. 
Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Tumblr, all at Graphic Policy. And where can people find you, Alana? I'm on Twitter all the time. I should probably stop. I'm at E-L-A-N-A <laughs> underscore Brooklyn. That's where I am on Twitter. I am not particularly often these days, but at times on Tumblr at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. Um which is actually not a bad place to be if you want to hear me ramble about 60s music. And who doesn't? But, um, yeah, so that's, that's my primary places. And, of course, I'm always at graphicpolicy.com. And I should have another piece in the Daily Beast coming up soon, too. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, it only took us, like, three episodes or two episodes for me to get that right. Um, mm-hmm. So, already starting 2017, right? <laughs> Uh, but again, you can catch us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. As always, thank you for listening. Much appreciated. And until next time, keep reading those comics. Go get uh, Suicide Most Wanted at your comic shop this Wednesday. Uh, until next time, keep it geeky.